0: So we're going to be continuing our series in Luke. We're in uh, chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verse um, 14 through 30 today. But um, as you can see, Jess isn't here today. She's home with Shiloh, working on some potty training stuff, trying to get that thing going. Um, This week, we decided to take on everything all at once. Um, We put her in a big girl bed, and I was telling Justin before the service, every night, She's woken up and tried to walk out the room. She walked into the closet the other night. And then I go to get her, and she wanted a pillow. I was like, you have a pillow on your bed. Anyway, um, so we haven't been sleeping well. But I just wanted to ask, is there anybody in here, has anybody been to Ikea before? Can you raise your hand? Wave at me. All right, good. And I mean, you've been to Ikea, you've walked through like the showroom, and you see all the finished furniture. Not you go to the cafeteria and eat. Okay. I had a coworker, him and his wife thought that that was a good date. To like go on a Saturday to the cafeteria and eat. It's like it's good food, but it's not like a date place. But um so you've been to IKEA, you see the finished furniture, right? And then the great thing about IKEA or the bad thing, however you want to look at it, is that when you buy it, you're not buying what you saw. You're buying the pieces of what you saw. And you have to go home and put them together. And you got box one of 75. You get a bag that's about this big, and it has a whole bunch of dollies and screws. And then they give you the tiniest Allen key in the world to screw in the stuff. And they give you one. So it's not like you could even have somebody help you put it together. You have one, and you, you know, me and Jess, we would try to share it, and it was like I was already done, and then I'll give it to her, and I'll be like, gotta wait for it to be done but right and I put I put together a ton of things Micah's entire bedroom I think is all Ikea so I can tell you I've done a lot when you open up those boxes what's in them looks nothing like what you saw in the store And the instructions that they give you make no sense whatsoever. The only instructions that exist in mankind that have no words, it's pictures. And the pictures are like this big, and you're supposed to find out what screw. You're holding up every screw. Does this look like the one that goes in here? You get completely frustrated. You want to give up, right? You're like, this is never going to be that thing. This is never going to turn into that because I have no idea if I'm ever going to get there. I've been there, I've been frustrated, and I think we've all been to that place where we realize, like halfway through the IKEA build, that's supposed to be taking 25 minutes, two hours, three hours later. You're hungry, you're frustrated, your hands hurt, your knees are sore because you're bending down because the thing you can't build standing up or um, on a table or anything. It, it just gets so frustrating. You're like, it's never gonna come out to be that. There's no way I'm starting off with this and it's gonna be that. But there's hope. You'll get there one day. I promise you. When you learn not to buy Ikea furniture anymore, and just buy stuff <laughs> straight from the store <laughs> that's already built. Or have somebody else do it. Get on TaskRabbit. Have somebody else do it. But let's get into the, the scripture today. Okay, I'm going to start off at verse 30, and I'm going to read through to... I'm going to start at 14 and read through to 30. <clears throat> Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut up for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, but they, they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, Lord God. We thank you that you came to visit us this Sunday, Lord. And I pray that you would right now open the ears of our hearts, Lord God, that we would hear what you're saying, Lord God, that we give you free reign to do the work that you have to do in us and through us, Lord God. We are clay in your hands, Lord God, so be the potter and mold us into your image today, Lord. For me, the speaker, God, I hide behind the cross, Lord God, and I pray that you would be seen, Lord God, that I would just be your mouthpiece today. Do what you came to do in Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me, I'm going to get some water. So last week, Tiff shared with us, and uh, she spoke great. If you happen not to be here last week and you didn't catch it yet, go watch it. Um, It's amazing. Like I said during the service, Tiff is the realest person I've ever met in my life. There are things that she can say that nobody else in this world can say. And Tiff says it, and it's great. Um, you listen to it and you walk away, you're like, it only could come from Tiff. But um, she shared about the temptation of Jesus, right? He went into the desert, he was tempted, and this is right after that. And it says that he walked into to Galilee, he was walking into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So after the temptation, after the fasting, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he walks in full of power into Galilee. Galilee was Jesus' home base, in a sense. So Galilee is not a, a town. Think of it as New York City, right? So Galilee's New York City. And then you have all these towns that make up Galilee throughout Galilee. So Jesus walks into Galilee and he's, um, he's going into the synagogues and he's preaching. And the people are receiving his preaching. The power of God is upon him and he's speaking and people are receiving it. And we have to remember the time that we're speaking about. There was no Galilee Gazette. There was no Galilee Times. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. There was nothing else going on that you could get news from. There was only people, travelers, and they would share what was happening in these towns. So you had people that they would go to one town, right? They were in Capernaum and they might have been there to visit family or maybe they lived there and they were headed to go visit family in another town and they're walking on the road and they run into people and they're like, we just came from Capernaum and we have to tell you this Jesus is preaching and it's amazing. There's, there's this grace upon him. There's, it's just incredible and he's also healing people and they start listing all the things that he was healing people of. So this news is getting around. And then Jesus decides, I'm going to go back home. So he heads back to Nazareth. That was his place of birth. So it'd be like me leaving New York, going to live somewhere else for a number of years, whatever, and then coming back home, and everybody's still there. It's all the same. I grew up in, um, in the south side of Brooklyn, and I can tell you, Pretty much everybody that I grew up with still lives in the south side of Brooklyn. I don't know if it's like that for Sunset or, or, or uh, Bay Ridge, but usually when you go back to the hood, everybody's still there. And they're still pretty much doing the same things that they did when you were, like, younger. So the same stoops that were occupied when I was a kid, I go back, the same people sitting on those stoops doing the same exact thing that they were doing 20 years ago when I was a kid living in Brooklyn. So... This is what's going on. So Jesus walks into Nazareth so everybody knows Jesus. They've heard of the good things that he's doing and they know Jesus. And Jesus does what he's been doing in all the other towns. The Sabbath day comes and Jesus goes to synagogue with all the other good Jews in town. They all go to the synagogue. Jesus gets into the synagogue and he's the guest speaker for the day. So Jesus stands up to read and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. There's no coincidences in the Bible. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Jesus gets the scroll, goes down to the part, and he reads from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, the, what, the portion that he's reading about is about the Messiah. It's about the anointed one of God. This is, a, 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 Isaiah was a prophet, and this was a prophetic word about the one to come. And Jesus reads it, and I'm going to reread what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus reads this. He goes, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. This is the custom. They would sit down to preach. I don't know why we don't do that anymore, Justin. Justin. <laughs> I'm wearing J's, bro. (laughs) They're not comfortable. They're preaching. So, somebody says something. They want (laughs) them. You know, we could pull the the sofa up and I could sit down and just speak to everybody. But he sits down and he goes to explain. And the first thing out of his mouth, right? Everyone's fastened uh, their eyes on him. Kind of like you guys are right now. Everybody's looking intently. Okay, he read from Isaiah. What is he going to say now? So they're all just with anticipation, just looking, probably sitting on the edge of their seat. They've heard of all of these done through all the towns and they want to hear what does he have to say now? And then he goes, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the first thing out of his mouth. What does that mean? That meant what I just read, it's about me and it's happening right now. It's not happening in the future. What Isaiah prophesied is happening right now. In me and through me. And everybody just was like, wow. They were in awe. They were amazed at what Jesus was saying. He was proclaiming the year of Jubilee, right? Because that's what the year of the Lord's favor is, the year of Jubilee. It's the year. It was um, in Leviticus 25, that's where they talk about the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. And it was a promise of God that every um, seven years, there would be a year where they would like wipe the slate clean. So every person who was enslaved would be set free. Every person who, have a, who had a debt, it would be wiped clean. Anything that was, um, that was wrong or whatever, it would just be wiped clean. There was a clean slate to start from. And this was practiced by the Jews, so they understood what Jesus was saying. And he's saying, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is about me, and I'm proclaiming the Lord's favor right now. <clears throat> and they heard this, and they were in awe. But there's a, there, there's a response from the people. They were in awe, and then all they asked themselves was, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, this could be taken two ways. I was looking at this, and I was like, man, this could be taken two ways. The first way is, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, wait, I, I remember him. Like, he's a carpenter's boy. Where did he learn to speak so eloquently? Why, how does he have this authority and this grace upon him? He didn't go to a rabbi school. He didn't go to, like, like he, he wasn't trained up in this thing, but he's speaking with such power and authority. Wow, this is amazing. And then there's another way to look at it. It's a slight against Jesus. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, isn't this the carpenter's boy? Like, I remember Joseph. He used to play with little Johnny and little Susie down the block. Um, Didn't he make my table like a few years ago? Didn't he make my, you know, my chairs or whatever it is? Like, they could list all the things out and they were like, no, I know him. Who does he think he is to say these things? Like, it's Jesus. It reminds me of the book of John, chapter 1, verse 46. Nathaniel, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he called Nathaniel's brother, and then Nathaniel's brother goes to Nathaniel and says, I found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response to him was, what good can come from Nazareth? kind of like what we say about Staten Island, no, i just playing, I'm just playing, <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Staten Island, I love you, Johnny, if you're watching at home, I love you, I love you, Ralph, I love you, even though you're from Queens, I love you still, but <laughs> Justin, I love you too. I still feel the Brooklyn in you. You haven't been there long enough. I still feel the Brooklyn in you. But it's a slight, right? It's like, like what good can come from Nazareth? Like, you've ever heard of anything good coming from Nazareth? So there's the same connotation that you can get from that statement. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, Joseph's a carpenter. Joseph wasn't a learned man. He wasn't smart. He wasn't, whatever you want to say. How is Jesus, how is he able to proclaim these things? Who does he think he is? And if you notice in the whole text, that's the only time that the people were ever recorded saying anything. Because then Jesus takes over. And Jesus being Jesus, he knows what's in the heart of man. He knows what's in the mind of man. He says this in the anticipation of what they're going to say or what they're thinking at that moment in time. And he says... Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, hear yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. (laughs) So what was Jesus saying about the people in there? What they wanted was they wanted a show of power from Jesus. See, they weren't going to receive Jesus unless he showed them what was due to them. They had a sense of entitlement. Oh, we're your hometown. You have to do for us what you did for them. Think about it this way. A few weeks ago, there was a lottery, and it was $1.2 billion. How many people in this room know if you won that, you get cousins and titis from everywhere coming like, wait, where's mine? Where's mine? No, no, no. I, I'm your cousin. You're like, how are you my cousin? And they start listing out the 97 different people before they become your cousin. They're like your 17th cousin removed from, you know, wherever they're from. That's, there's an entitlement that people have when somebody wins, right? Um, you, if you ever watch like uh, behind the scenes of like uh, a 30 for 30 on ESPN with all these sports stars, you will hear when they sign their contracts, how many people come with their hands out like, where's mine? Where's mine? And then there's this, there's this feeling from these guys that I have to take care of this person and that person and that person. And by the end of it, they're broke. They got no money left. But all these people got their cars. They got their houses. They got their jewelry on. They're good. The people... In Nazareth, they felt entitled. Jesus, you're ours. You're from us. You have to show us your power for us to receive you as the anointed one. Where is it? Where's the miracles? Where's the healing? Where's the blind seeing? Where's the lame walking? Where's the people that were healed of leprosy? Where's the dead rising? Where are the, where are the miracles, Jesus? And he goes on to say further. He says, Sorry don't want to skip this part the pharisees in matthew 16 did the same thing that the people of nazareth did jesus they came to jesus and they said hey show us a sign that you're the messiah then we'll believe you then we'll receive you if we see a sign and jesus turned to them and said you're not going to see a sign all you're going to see is the sign of jonah and just left it at that didn't explain it to them just left it at that see you could demand a lot of things of jesus Doesn't mean you're ever going to get them. Because Jesus loves us so much, he'll listen to our demands. Doesn't mean he's ever going to do anything for them. Because who are we to demand of God anything? And Jesus goes on and he says this to them. He says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he tells them, he gives them two, two examples I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Elijah was not led to one of them, but to the widow of Zarephath. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. I always get hung up on Elijah and Elisha. Don't know why the Bible has to people with the same name, you know? It's like the book of John, John, the brother of Jesus. Is that the same person? No, it's not. There's a lot of confusing things in the Bible. But these were two prophets in the Old Testament. And Jesus says to them, hey, prophets are not accepted in their hometown. And then he gives them the, the two examples and you're probably like, why is he giving them these two examples? He says, Elijah, Elijah and the widow of Sidon or Zarephath. Now, to take you back to the Old Testament in 1 Kings 17, we learn about, uh, in 1 Kings, we learn about Elijah. But in 1 Kings 17 is a story of Elijah and the widow. And this was during the reign of King Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab led the people of God so far from God, set up all over um, all over the country, Uh, temples to Baal and to all the other gods. There was worship of every other God but Jehovah going on. And there was a remnant of people that still loved the Lord and still served the Lord, but the majority of the country was in sin. And what God did in the Old Testament, what God would raise up his prophets... And his prophets would go and they would tell the people, they would um, prophesy to the people and they would tell them judgment that was going to come upon them if they didn't turn. Sometimes the people would listen, sometimes they wouldn't. But in this particular occurrence, God already passed judgment. He sent famine on the land and it didn't rain for three and a half years. So Animals are dying. Crops are dying. There's no food. There's a shortage of food. If you go back into the Old Testament, there's some crazy stuff going on. There's a story of uh, two women. One of them convinced the other woman to cook her child so that they could eat them. And then the other woman was going to cook her child the following day. That didn't happen. This is some crazy stuff going on in the Bible. And there's so many widows in all the land of Israel and what, is, what does Jesus say? That God sent Elijah to the widow of Sidon. She's an outsider. She's not part of the people of God. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is showing them God's favor on the people that are not of God because the people of God refuse to accept God's ways, God's rules. God's love. And if you read that story in 1 Kings 17, God sends Elijah to her and there's a famine going in the land and Elijah asks her for food and I'm summarizing, so please go read it yourself. He asks her for food and she says to him, all I have is enough to make a little bit of bread for me and my son. We're going to eat and then we're going to die. That was her exact words to him. And Elijah tells her, Okay, first go make me mine. And if you go make me mine, God will supply for you. God will take care of you. And what does she do? She goes and she makes him his cake first and feeds him. And then God takes care of her and her son and provides for all three of them during this famine. But he, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he doubles down. And he, Elijah follows Eli, sorry, Elisha follows Elijah. See, I told you I get mixed up with them. And his story is in 2 Kings 5. And he talks about Naaman the Syrian. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Israel and Syria were enemies. They hated each other. Why would God do anything good for the enemy of his people? But God's economy... God's ways are not our ways. The way God works is not the way we work. So God, so Naaman hears about the prophet, hears about him and goes to visit him. And Elisha tells him, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. What? Jordan River was not a clean river. It was not like, you know, it was not like the springs of like, Colorado, the hot springs, or like, you know, um, my mom a couple years ago, somebody told her to go swim with the manatees in Florida because there's like healing waters or something like that. Craziest thing I've ever heard. But it's not any of those things. It's not like, the, like people would go to the Jordan and it was like, oh, this is the Jordan River. There's heal-. He told him to do something that sounded crazy. What, what are you saying? But Naaman humbled himself, listened to what the man of God told him to do, and did it. And was healed. All this to say is that when you humble yourself before God and you take him at his word, God can do some great things. You have to receive him at his word. You can't demand a miracle on top of it. See, but Jesus knew and understood that he would be rejected. That was the MO of the Messiah. That was the M.O. of the anointed one of God. And how do I know this? Because the same prophet who Jesus read from in Isaiah 61 said this in Isaiah 53. He who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a shoot out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus knew he would be rejected and he knew he'd be rejected by his own. So when he went back to Nazareth and he got there and he He preached that sermon and he said whatever he said to them. He knew what the outcome was going to be. They did not want to receive Jesus at the promise that he read from Isaiah 61 of the anointed one. They wanted the proof. They wanted to see the miracles. That's what they wanted. They wanted to claim Jesus as their own. He's a Nazarene. He's supposed to do for us in his hometown before he does for Capernaum, before he does for uh, Jerusalem, before he does for anybody else. He has to do it for us. He comes from here. He's ours. He has to take care of us. This entitlement that he has. These are the people of God and they felt entitled that the Messiah, that the anointed one, was supposed to work on their behalf, was supposed to heal their sick before he healed anybody else's sick. Who do we look like more in this story? Do we act like the widow of Sidon or Naaman the Syrian? Do we receive Jesus at face value? Or are we like the people of Nazareth that demand a sign, and when we don't get it, we want to push Jesus off of the hill? Can I tell you, I was reading the commentaries, and when they went to push him off the hill, right, They they took him all the way to the edge of town, took him to the brow of the hill, and they were going to push him off. That was the first step into stoning Jesus. When they went to stone people back in that time, they would take them to a hill and push them off. And the reason why is because when you were throwing down at somebody, physics tells us the velocity is stronger when you're throwing down. So they had all intention of killing Jesus. They had all intention of telling him, you're not a Nazarene anymore. We reject you, and we're pushing you out of our town. You're no longer welcome here. This ain't your hometown anymore. You're not one of us. And Jesus does a miracle right in front of their eyes without them even asking. Slips through the crowd. Tell me that. There's a mob of people. It never says how many people, but there's a ton of people, and they're all pushing them to the brow of the hill. There's one man they're focused on. How do you lose him? How do you lose him? I said that to myself, I was like, how did they lose Jesus? He's one person, but he did a miracle right in front of their eyes. But if we're like the people of Nazareth, right? There's boxes that Jesus has to check off for us. Maybe we don't have the same boxes the Nazarenes had. Maybe we don't ask him to heal the sick or to restore sight to the blind or all these other things. Maybe our boxes look like, like mine, a house with a driveway or garage. For a long time, guys, that was a sticking point for me. I had contention with God. Because I said, if you're God, why are we struggling in our small apartment with our two kids who have no space to play and there's really nowhere else for us to, we're trying to think of ideas to make room, but God, there's no room here. Why, Why haven't you opened a door for us to have a house yet? I thought you love me I go to church I give I serve I'm owed something I'm entitled to this God that was my requirement to receive maybe yours is financial stability or financial excess and that could look like so many different ways Maybe it's the car that you want to drive. Maybe it's the vacations you want to take. You want to go to Greece or Italy. And you don't want to stay in the hostel, but you want to stay in the Four Seasons. You want to stay in, you know, the Ritz-Carlton. You want to stay in, you know, Capri or something like that. You want to stay on a yacht or all these other things. Maybe those are the prerequisites for you to receive, for you to walk with Jesus in a new way. Maybe it is a clean bill of health. Maybe you're walking around and there's an ailment in your body and you're like, Jesus, I love you. I serve you. I'm entitled to this. We have to remember who Jesus was speaking to. He wasn't speaking to the world. He wasn't speaking to the outsider. He was speaking to the people of God. He was in church or in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. These are people that they followed the customs. They they, they did what they're supposed to do. They gave. They, They followed the laws. They followed the commandments. They were there. They were in the house, and yet they missed Jesus. You could be sitting here today. You could be coming week after week after week. You could give. You could serve in ministry. All these things you can do, and you can still miss Jesus. You could still walk out of here and say, but he hasn't met these things in my life. He may never meet those things in your life. But he had to do one thing. And it wasn't something that we made him do. It was something that his father asked him to do. And he did freely, hung on a cross, took our place to make a way so we could get back to the father. All the other stuff that we want, it's icing on the cake, but it doesn't mean that he has to do it. There's no requirement for him to do it. His father didn't give him the, the, the role of be the one who supplies the money that they need, the house that they need, the, the, the bank accounts that they need, the the, the love that they need from, from their friends or from their Fake friends on Facebook and on Instagram, and you're living your life and you're posting all these things and you just want love, and you're like, Jesus, why don't they love me? Why don't people like my pictures? Jesus is like, But I love you. Is it not enough? Today, he's asking us the question Who do you want to be more like? The two outsiders that I gave the example like the people of God in those two examples, or the people of God that were in the house that day in Nazareth, sitting in the synagogue, watching him preach, with eyes all intent, stuck on little Jesus from down the block. Little Jesus that built the tables, that took care of Mary, that had brothers and sisters, Are you stuck on your list of requirements? Your proof of the Messiah? Your proof of the anointed one? Your proof of Jesus? And as I get ready to close, the worship team can come back up. If I can be on that list of people that had a requirement for Jesus and I'm up here preaching to you, then you sitting in that seat or watching online can be on that same list of having requirements that Jesus fulfill all these other things before you receive him at face value of who he is. The one who died on the cross, the one who freed you, who loves you, who cares for you, who intercedes at the right hand of the Father for you. My hope is that as we get ready to close out service, and we'll have leaders and prayer teams standing on the side and in the back, There's no shame in going and asking for prayer. There's no shame in confessing your shortcomings because we've all been there. And if it really matters to you what the person next to you or in front of you or behind you thinks of you, you're putting way too much value in that. The only person that you have to care about is the one who hung on the cross for you. What he says to you I can be honest I'm still hoping for a house it's not a requirement of Jesus anymore if there's a hope that you've had that you're requiring of Jesus to fulfill let it go today if he does it or doesn't do it it really doesn't matter he cares for you I don't want to be like the people of Nazareth I don't want to be like the people of Israel in the Old Testament that didn't listen, didn't hear, didn't receive God at face value. But I want to be like the widow, like Naaman, heard the word of the Lord and took action, humbled themselves and obeyed. And I think Paul, he he said something in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that I I think is a good way for us to close out. He's talking to the saints, and he said, Thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Today, my words may have been short on some part. They may have missed the mark. Every analogy may not have worked but his spirit is speaking to yours and he has his hand on something and I want to encourage you when we go to pray ask for prayer and leave the requirements here today go home living in Jesus go home receiving Jesus for who he is he doesn't disappoint ever, I promise you that can you guys just stand real quick and bow your heads? I'm gonna pray. Worship team's gonna come up. Lord, where my words have may have failed today, Lord, I pray your spirit speaks to the heart of every single person in this room, every single person online, God. God, I pray that we would give up the requirements for us to receive you, for us to believe who you are, that we would give up all these things that really don't matter at the end, Lord God, that we would trust you at your word. Like it said in Isaiah 61, Lord God, you've already healed our eyes, Lord God. You've already given us eyes to see. You've already begun to work in our hearts. We're no longer oppressed, Lord God, because of the work that you've done on the cross. And that is enough, Jesus. Give us faith today, Lord God, a fresh faith to believe, to receive, to leave those things here today, Lord God, and to walk out changed and new with new vision and a new hope in you. Amen, Lord.